I'll be reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them down on door frames and on your houses and on your, day, on your gates. The amazing grace of the Lord and His great faithfulness surround us and fill us up in ways that are uh, quite literally incalculable. We're called to count your many blessings, but isn't it really beyond counting? And for that, we stop and say thank you. One of the most remarkable Christian camps that I've ever visited and, and as I hear stories of other places is the HEB Family Foundation Camp. Yes, this is the family that established the HEB groceries chain. If you're not aware, uh, the man who established that had a, a major life change, a, a conversion as it were, actually as a result of uh, the Billy Graham campaigns. And he decided as he began to make really more money than he knew what to do with that he wanted to put it to work for the Lord. The family had bought this piece of property that's on the East Fork of the Frio River uh, just north of Lakey many years before. And, and before he died, he said, I want that piece of property to become a place where families and young people and Christians can gather together and be re- re- refreshed the refreshing that it gave his family, he wanted to be spread to everyone. The family has since uh, spent what has to be millions of dollars doing improvements and making that a wonderful place to visit. I particularly love the sign that as you get, you come up, I believe you're on Highway 83, and you begin to drive down into this canyon to get down to the to the banks of the East Fork of the Frio there. There's a sign as you get to that spot, and again, It looks like this. Yes, you drive in the river to get to any of the camps that are associated. And there are several different campgrounds, including a very, very lovely adult retreat facility called Laity Lodge. You have to drive through the river. It's well marked with the stones, but it, it, for the first time when you get there, you kind of, whoa, whoa, because it's not a crossing of the river. You drive along the river and, uh, We've been there when it's rained a little bit, and there was a little worry about whether we'd be able to get out when the weekend was over, but uh, it's never been, been something that kept us from doing that. But water over roads is not always just a unique adventure. In the summer of 2007, uh, I had been out of youth ministry for about eight years, but the, we were in a transition at Belton between youth ministers, and the youth minister at Belton runs the summer camp that our church attends, and so they reached back into their history and grabbed an old man and said, you'll direct camp. Little did I know that on Tuesday of camp, um, one of the largest floods that have affected the hill country in its history, approximately 26 inches of rain fell in about three hours around Marble Falls. Here, when that much rain falls, it doesn't have anywhere to go because everything's flat. There, the rain can't absorb in the ground because it's all just rock. And it goes straight to the creeks and things like that. It had been raining during the night. Uh, Sorry about this, but as a camp director, when the camp day is over, sleep comes easily and deeply, at least for me. And so when I woke and stepped out of the little trailer that I'm in uh, as the camp director, I stepped out and right there at my feet right around the wheels of the camper, was debris. 
The camper's about 20 feet off of the creek surface. A wall of water somewhere between 20 and 25 feet had moved down that valley. And I immediately panicked because we have cabins that are lower than where I am. And I thought, my God, and this was a prayer, not an exclamation of of, uh, taking the Lord's vein in vain. My God, they may all be washed away. And I ran down and I just remember coming around that last cedar tree and there was the girl's cabin still standing. There was debris within a few feet of it, but hadn't been touched. Later in the day, we uh, went and looked around a little bit about what was going on, found multiple cars and trees. Uh, You will see that on the slide. Uh, Didn't see this one. The one that I saw was actually about eight feet off the ground. It had been washed off the road, lifted up and put in the top of a cedar tree. One of the more memorable scenes that got in the newspapers uh, was this uh, limousine uh, that was in Marble Falls. Um, it, it had been picked up about five blocks up the street and moved down the street, just floated down the street. There was actually a bulldozer that got moved about 10 or 12 feet. That's how much water was running through everything. It made for a very interesting day at camp. It made for a ex- very interesting week. In fact, we had a second week that followed that. The floodwaters were rising, and and, uh, the sheriff came out that evening and said, just so you know, you're going to be cut off in every direction in about three hours. And uh, I got to get up and announce to the kids that it may well be that if the waters rise and we can't get out, that you get to sleep in late on Saturday morning at camp. And they all thought that was wonderful news. We sent the kitchen staff to get as much fresh bread and fresh milk was available at two different convenience stores in two different directions and God was gracious and we were able to get them out on Friday night and get the next camp in. Uh, Although it appears that parents had to kind of be very careful about which route they took because it would keep raining and flood one route or flood the other and they couldn't be there. Sometimes the water over the roads is really, really scary. We're going to begin a new sermon series entitled Family in Motion. All of life is a series of transitions. If you haven't figured this out yet, you probably just haven't quite lived long enough. Maybe as a child, to a certain extent, we don't realize it's coming. We don't necessarily look ahead, although there are anticipations. But when we get to be into our adult life, we realize just about the time we get used to this stage we're in, we're going to be on to a new stage. We have just gotten used to this grandchild phase and being able to kind of do with them whatever we wanted whenever we wanted to we're coming this weekend why don't y'all come down that kind of thing we've got this grandchild who's now turned five and is headed to kindergarten and that's a new stage in life and Callie is uh, excited about that she's a very social child if you haven't met Callie you don't know but uh, I'm sure she's in for a little bit of a of an awakening when she gets to kindergarten because she won't be the only child that will need everybody's attention at the same time. So we're looking forward to how she adjusts to that. It transitions, and just about the time you get to use the fact that our children are now in this process of growing and learning through schools and we send them to school every day, suddenly they are gone to college. And they set off on a new adventure And life just continues these transitions. And in reality, our culture kind of seems to, its its rate of acceleration, I think, began to threaten us even more. The acceleration and pace of society and cultural change can make us think 
It's all just moving, as Psalm 46 says, as if the earth was shaking, as if the earth and the mountains were like the sea and quivering with the waves that it goes, we can begin to think that things can be out of control. Last year we had something that, at least in my lifetime, nobody had ever experienced. If you were old enough to remember the Spanish flu back, back in the teens, then you're quite old. But... Um, uh, the, <laughs> Most of us hadn't experienced anything like that. And it changed things. And, and, and again, we argued about the way it changed things. And was that okay? And then vaccinations came available. And it seemed like we could be removed from that. And now a Delta variant is here. And just every single time we think we seem to solve one set of problems. Or I don't know that it's solved them so much as in life we're just kind of trying to get a grip on it. Aren't we? Okay, I can deal with this. I can... Deal with my child who's growing up. Oh, wait, they've got to go to school. Ah! And then we kind of figure out how to get a grip on it. And just as we're getting a grip on it, there's this thing called a Delta variant. And it's changing the way we're thinking about it. Technology. Not only the technology that's in your hand that just seems... By the way, does anybody... Are any of you the kind of people a little bit like me that you don't buy the phone that you need to buy because you know that if I wait a week, there'll be a better phone out there? Is that something, or don't buy the computer? Because I I think we've now reached a point where we realize the curve of acceleration and change is such that just get one and be happy with it. You don't need all that new stuff. Although, I will say, little fingerprint thing and the way it connects to my hearing aids, all that sounds kind of cool. I'm a fan, right? You don't have hearing aids. You call them AirPods. They will soon be hearing aids. But it's not just the technology that's in our hand. Just so you know, my weather channel decided to come on and start talking in my ear. Uh, I don't want it to do that again. Would you come and shut it down for me? It's definitely never started talking to me in my... It's rung before in my ears, but it's never started talking to me in my ears. But in reality, technology in every aspect of our lives. How many years ago would you have ever even been able to say cyber security? And now you know that that isn't just something that the military has to worry about, but we had a hack into a a utility company in Pennsylvania earlier in the year where they shut down the power grid because they could attack the network of that company. Our society continues to change, and so often it threatens and and assaults, I'll even say that word, assaults definitions of life. We have definitions of gender, and where does that question fall into our understanding, our worldview, what we see around us? And it just seems in general that the world and our culture and society as a whole wants to kind of say the definition of what being a person is changing. Living can sometimes feel really scary. There are many moments of transition that are recorded in the Bible. Few of them are as powerfully explored as the anticipation of the entry into the long-anticipated promised land 
found in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book that simply wants to, that is a sermon. Moses stands up, and I don't know if you want to picture it or not. I will point you to this image in just a moment, but stands in front of all the people. And I'm not sure how you do that. I'm not sure how Jesus stood on a mountain and spoke to 5,000 people. But Moses is, is, the image that's developed here is that Moses stands and delivers this kind of closing sermon. The sermon itself takes on lots of unique forms. Uh, He tells the story of their past. He kind of gives them a summary of what God wants them to be about. And particularly, you need to understand that there's some language here that that is very typical of that time and place, the ancient Near East, where he says, there is God who is greater than you are, and he wants to invite you into a relationship. And if you want to use a technical term, invite you into a covenant Now, you are not good enough to be in a covenant with him, but he chooses to extend that to you. And that then what we see outlined in in much of Deuteronomy are the terms of that covenant. But it's in this very dramatic sense. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers are so narrative. It's almost like Moses stands back and tells the story from from a third person. When we hear the words of Deuteronomy, Moses is no longer standing in the role of the third person. This is a personal message. We're not going to get in the weeks that we get to spend in it to delve into every word. And I I invite you to read Deuteronomy. Um, Jerry read from Leviticus today. And there will be some laws that are outlined in Deuteronomy. But it goes into less about the detail of specifics of things and more about the overarching sense of why... Would God call you to act and live in this way? I think you'll find it refreshing if you've ever kind of gotten bogged down in genealogies and again, technical things about mold and about which kind of animal and what kind of day and what you can do. You'll find Deuteronomy very refreshing and you will find it challenging. The book opens up with this statement. Chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words that Moses spoke to all the people of Israel while they were in the wilderness east of the Jordan River. They were camped there in the Jordan Valley. They have made that journey, that journey that has carried them from Egypt and again brought them across the Red Sea. They have made that journey to Sinai where God initiated in Deuteronomy actually the word there that's used is the second law. And the idea is that the first law was given at Sinai, and Moses now in this sermon will remind you of what God said about at Sinai. In fact, there's a phrase in Deuteronomy that says, God didn't make that covenant at Sinai with your forefathers. He made it with you. Even though most of you weren't alive when we were there, it was a covenant that he made with you. And so it is that Moses, in reality, is preaching this sermon to remind them of what was said there. In many ways, that's what the emphasis is. He is telling them this story. And if you read the first opening verses, there are lots of place names there. And basically what the writer is doing is bringing you from Sinai, the 40 years of the wanderings, and bringing you right up to the bank of the Jordan River. We are ready for our lives to change. We are going to go from being a people who have wandered around in this wilderness... And again, he will, in the opening chapters, he will give the reasons why you've been wandering around for 40 years. People who have wandered around as nomads, 
who are about to enter into a place. If you continue to read in chapter 6, in fact, Mike read it as part of our our Lord's Supper, the idea that God has given you cities you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant and houses that you didn't build. He's going to move you in and your life is going to shift from being nomads to being an established people in established cities. And you're going to move from being a people in isolation to being a people who are surrounded by others and your life needs to be a witness for them. But as they took in these words of Moses, this or something like this is what they were looking at. They were looking at a river. Sorry, uh, I'm going to skip you forward one, Lindsay. My apologies. They're looking at the Jordan River. And to a certain extent, it's wonderful to talk about getting in the promised land, but what, how do we get across that? And again, make no mistakes... Their thoughts had to go back to the Red Sea and how God carried them across. And the book of Joshua will unfold the details of how they get across there. But I want to be sure and affirm that as scary as it was to look at the road ending in the river and saying, we're going that way, how they were going to live was going to be an even greater challenge. The book of Joshua in chapter 1 will say, that they came across the river and they partook of the, of the bounty of the land, of the fruit of the land, and it was on that day that the manna stopped coming down every morning. This is a group of people who hadn't even had to cook breakfast every day. They were going to be taken care of by God and had been taken care of. Deuteronomy will go on to list the fact that in the 40 years that they wandered, their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. They were able to do all this. In fact, he says, even sickness didn't overtake you like it could have. They're going to go into the land and life is going to change. And the words of Deuteronomy are intended to give them... And in reality, I want to say, intended to give us a foundation and a guide for these incredible challenges. Have you ever thought, God, what am I going to do with this? This is moving too fast. These are too dangerous. These things are too dangerous. This is more than I can account for. And I can guarantee you, although they didn't have to put up with cybersecurity... They didn't have to put up with whether or not somebody was going to hack into their computers. They didn't have to put up with redefinitions of life and gender and personhood. But they were moving into a world that was going to be different. And the words of Deuteronomy were not intended to necessarily solve all their problems, but to give them and reframe their perspective to say that God is bigger than any transition or challenge or scary thing that you're going to run into out there. Amen? And maybe, just maybe, we need to be be reminded of that. Moses will expand this vision beyond just speaking to them and their own blessing. And if you would read with me from Deuteronomy chapter, I believe it's chapter 4, and starting with verse 5. See, I've taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. And that phrase will occur over and over and over again in the book of Deuteronomy. He is preparing them for where they are going. 
And I believe he intends, now thousands of years later, for us to be able to read these words and see it as preparation for us to step into things that challenge us as well. Follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of. Continuing in verse 6, Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the natures. Who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is wise and understanding people. Whether a nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him. And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees? Righteous there, probably you need to hear good, full, blessed, uh, giving life. Righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today. You see, Moses believed... Or we could say God had told Moses or revealed to Moses that the way they live and what they taught, again, the content of this book, would not only give them what they needed to succeed in this transition, and again, every transition we go to, but also make them and empower us to be powerful witnesses to the world around us. You remember the calling of Abraham. Again, one of those transitional moments. Abraham, you've always been here. Your family's always been here. I want you to go to a new place. And when he got to the new place, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to all people. And the instruction of Deuteronomy isn't simply intended to be something that says to us, here's how you can be in blessing and succeed, but here's how this wisdom and this understanding can help you be a witness to all the peoples around you in the midst of great turmoil and great transition. And the summary of the entire book, Jesus will say, all of the law and the prophets hinge on this. And when he says that phrase, he doesn't just mean the books of the law, first five and the the prophets when we look at the end, but when he uses that phrase, he means the entire Old Testament, everything that is written, hinges on this is read by Christopher earlier. Here. And that word here should ring a little different in your ears after a few weeks in Let Them Hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is the one. Or another way of saying it, the Lord is our God and He alone is our God. And as we recognize who God is... The instruction, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus will change the wording in the Gospels. He wants to speak into a first century Hellenistic world and he says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Which was just a a different way of looking at all of who people are. Jesus will also clarify... What Israel had lost, that when God said, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind and strength, it didn't mean that I can isolate myself into a world of worshiping God without recognizing the people around me. Uh, John will say, you can't love God and not love the people that he created. Amen? And Jesus makes it much simpler for them. He then reaches into Leviticus chapter 19 and says, just in case you didn't get the point of loving God, 
being the same as loving those around you, let me remind you what the law says, which is you love your neighbor as yourself. It is these words that Moses holds up and says, when the world changes, when your situation changes, when you see the news and it kind of seems a little bit threatening, when you... I don't know which is harder, sending our daughter off to kindergarten... And, and to a certain extent, it's harder to send a grandchild because we, 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 and by the way, our children are doing a great job of raising our kids. Grandparents say, they, okay, I thought somebody would say amen. But there's a, there's a disconnect as a grandparent that you're not there to do it. And to a certain extent, it's a little scarier. By the way, it's also a little scarier because schools, by the way, whether they're public schools or private schools. They're a little scarier. So even in those moments when scary transitions comes, we can say, I know the Lord and he is the one above all other gods. And I can set my heart at ease in my love for him and his love for me. Amen. Not that that answers every question. Not that it somehow or another is, a, by the way, a magic incantation. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and everything will go away. That's not how that works. But it is an invitation to a relationship that says that even when you enter into the scary places, I know who God is. The one God who created it all and will bring it all to its fruition. Today is a special day. And I think in a powerful way, this thing theme has a special impact for those who work as educators. You and I are the parents of a few children. We have teachers among us who are going to, and, and they are not substitute parents. We don't want them to be that. But in so many powerful ways, they step into that instructional and life-giving role in whatever the number is, 20. If you're in high school, they stack up classes on you until the cows come home. Kelly will have a different set of kids about every two weeks, and that number will change. And to a certain extent, sometimes those kids come from really scary places, and so they might want to be really scary to the people who are around them. We're here today to bless our educators. Excuse me. One of the things we're here to do today, especially, is to bless our educators. We want them to be affirmed in this message that the Lord is the one. And that there is nothing more important in their teaching career than to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and excuse me, I'm a modern person, mind and strength. To give all of themselves to God. And in doing that, it puts the perspectives of the challenges that they will have. And by the way, some of these teachers of young children are walking into classrooms of children in second grade who haven't yet learned to read because of how we've had to isolate and how their situation at home has not equipped them to discover that. And at least for a person in this society, it's a little scary to think about people who can't read. They have challenges, intellectual challenges, personal challenges, social challenges. And what we want to say to you 
is that in the midst of those challenges, we stand with you, beside you, under you, and walk forward and don't want you to ever feel alone. Amen, church? And we believe that God can equip them to be the people that can make a difference in kids' lives. How many of you can look back to a teacher? Elementary school, Miss Rushing. Junior high, Coach Harmon Anderson. High school, Mrs. Post taught me to write. It changed our lives. And while we can say some of it was about intellectually stimulating us, we all have to admit that part of it was that they recognized us as people and they affirmed who we were as people. And there may be nothing more powerful that they do than that. The school district is going to put a whole lot of things on them and put them in a whole lot of other directions. And they need to do a good job of doing many of those things. But I believe nothing is more important than that they stand and can communicate to those students. You are of value to the God who created the universe. And therefore you are, you are valuable to me. We're going to formally bless these folks at this time. And I would ask Jerry to come forward at this time. One of our elders who's going to word that prayer. Um, I simply don't know. I know that we have a person who's moving from being an aide in schools to being a full-time teacher. But I'm not sure if, if the Peltiers are here today. Uh, so remember Brandy Peltier in your prayers because she's stepping into that first time. Are there any other first-time teachers at any new level in the audience? And if you are, would you please stand wherever you are today? Okay. Then I want to invite those who are the classroom teachers that are in our audience to please stand at this time. Can you please affirm these people? I hope that that if you're a homeschooler that you're already standing. If if you're involved in private schools, I didn't intend to leave anybody out, preschools, whatever it may be. If you are part of the support and administration and other folks that surround that education process, would you please stand at this time as well? And let's affirm these Wherever you are, I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment and maybe take a step or two to surround the people who are around you. But more importantly, I want you to snap a mental picture. Next week, we're going to give you an apple to remember students. We don't have something tangible like that. I want you to remember these people. And maybe before you leave today, maybe walk up to them and see if you can get a selfie with them so you can remember them in prayer throughout the year. Because I want us not just today to be praying for God's blessings on these people, but I want us for the whole rest of the year to be praying for them. Jerry, would you come and word that prayer for us this morning? (laughs) 
Our Heavenly Father, we just come before you this morning, and at this time we just want to hold up to you our educators, for those involved in education, from the administrators to the teachers to the aides to those that prepare the meals for the kids to those that clean the buildings, those that provide security. Lord, we just ask that you would bless each and every one of them as they uh, do their jobs. Uh, Lord, there are so many challenges that you have presented to us, a uh, new virus and security and, and all kinds of issues. We just ask that you would bless these teachers with uh, wisdom, with guidance, uh, with love. Uh, Lord, we just uh, pray for uh, the students that they will be teaching. Just give them safety uh, uh, as they drive to and from school on a bus or a car or whatever, walking to protect them physically. We ask that you would protect them spiritually. Uh, use these educators to uh, be an example of Jesus. Uh, let them see Jesus through them. Uh, many of these students come from what we call broken homes or in terrible situations, and and we just hope that they can see a light through these people. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Old church said, amen and amen. The invitation is quite simple, and yet it is a lifetime invitation. Will you? Won't you? Can you? Please. Find a new and next and more love for the Lord your God. If you have questions about what that might look like in your life or how that affirmation can address the troubles in your life, you are welcome to start that conversation here and now and today to come forward, to ask someone wherever you're sitting, to pick up the phone today and call someone and ask. If you're online with us or in reality, if you would like to start the conversation in this kind of way. You're welcome to send a message to 979-217-3300. You can text us. We'll find it. It's a way to start the conversation. Or maybe, just maybe, the conversation needs to be with you, between you and God. God, wherever I am in that relationship, I want more. Won't you come as we stand and sing? Oh, Master, let